I'm John Geraint, John on the Ronda, with another exclusive extract from The Great Welsh Anti-Novel. The Great Welsh Anti-Novel, by me, John Geraint, is published by Cambria Books, C-A-M-B-R-I-A. It's available from cambriabooks.co.uk and, of course, from all good bookshops. It's election night, February 1974. 17-year-old Jack is on a bus journey up the Ronda with his friends Lydia and Petra. Jack has been worrying about Petra's boyfriend, Martin, and wishing that another friend, Catherine, was with him so that he could ask her out. But there's been a terrible tragedy in her family. It had come to rain, a barrage of opal droplets pounding the windows as the bus moved on, athwart the wind, spurning the new road, sticking to the older route up the valley. Athwart? Across from side to side. Not quite the apposite word, Jack realised. He'd just encountered it in a poem Martin had told him about. What softer voice is hushed over the dead? Athwart what brow is that dark mantle thrown? Shelley's elegy on the death of Keats. Jack had a gift for memorising poetry. It was useful come exam time, and for impressing Catherine. Catherine, 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 her stepbrother, her dead stepbrother, beyond the reach of words now. Silence is the only message. Who'd said that? It wasn't Shelley, his auntie, perhaps. Or maybe she would say it one day. It sounded like her. The bus was passing the Ivor Hyle. Jack approved of the pub name, a rare nod to South Wales's pre-industrial past. Ivor Hyle, patron of bards. Ivor the Generous, rather than Ivor the Engine, though the pub was right next to Llynapier railway station. Ivor ap Llewellyn ap Ivor ap Bledry ap Cadivor Vaur. It had amused Jack to learn by heart this full chain of ancestry. He could rattle it off like a proper Welsh speaker and annoy practically all his friends. He was tempted to do so now, but he could imagine Petra and Lydia's response. Truth was, though he prided himself on his affinity with the language, Jack's grasp of Welsh was still rudimentary. For A-level, they'd begun to study the Mabinogion. Reading Charlotte Guest's famous translation, he'd been enchanted by an incident in the first branch. There was a kind of false start to the whole saga. The king of Anun, the underworld, changes places with Poith, the prince of David, so that he can beget, in some original telling of the myth, a wonder child on an earthly mother. Or so the introduction in Jack's textbook claimed. But in the version that survives, that never happens. Instead, Poilt returns to David and falls in love with a beauty, Rhiannon, who he sees day after day riding on a shining white stallion. She trots by at a stately pace, but every time Poilt gallops harder and faster to try to catch up with her, the further from him Rhiannon gets. Jack had become smitten with this marvel of elusive love. The more unreachable, the more she's desired. It turned out that all Poist had to do to get her to stop was 
to ask her. But the first time Jack read it, it left him thinking, when is this bloody story going to start? Pardon, Butte? That was Petra. When is this bloody story? Jack stopped. He'd spoken his thoughts out loud. How stupid. Gauche, Martin would have said. But there was something in that tale from the Mabinogion, something to do with his repeated failure to ask Catherine to go out with him, something he did want to explore with Petra and Lydia. I was just thinking, when we're older, much older, we look back on our lives and see that there's been a story to them, right? But when does that story begin? <laughs> exchanged a glance, another of Jack's musings. He went on regardless. We're born. We spend years and years with our parents. We depend on them and they bring us up. But that's not really our story. It's their story. They're making the choices, deciding what we do, how we dress, where we go, even what we believe. Unless they have a stubborn beggar of a child like you, Jack could hear his auntie saying in response to that. But he went on. Our parents decide what's important, showing us, telling us what to do. No matter what we think, we're stuck in their way of living because that's all we know, all we can see. We have no choice, no real freedom, no power, no... no agency. It was Lydia who'd found the word, the opposite word. Yes, that's right, Lydia, no agency. So when does that begin? When do you start being an agent? It was a strange phrase. Maybe Lydia's wasn't the right word after all. Jack decided to press on. When do you start being the author of your own life? That's what I was trying to say. About a story. He wasn't getting much of a response. But he felt committed now. For you and Martin, Petra, you have begun your story. You've made a choice about each other. But for me... Was it all right to say that about Martin and Petra? Despite what he'd sensed about Martin's mood? Well, he'd said it now. Then he remembered just in time that Lydia didn't have a boyfriend. For me, and maybe you're different, Lydia, and I think you are. You're more grown up already, more comfortable with yourself and your place in the world. But for someone like me, who's confused about a lot of things and trying to puzzle them out, all I've got is what's going on inside my head. You've got us, said Petra kindly. The friends. That's true. And I wasn't forgetting that. It's what keeps me sane to the extent I am. He could feel himself losing his nerve, losing confidence in whether he was making sense, falling into his habitual trap of self-deprecation. What I'm trying to say is, things happen to me. Fair enough, they do to everyone. At school, in the house, with you lot, when I, when I go to chapel with my parents. But none of it hangs together. It doesn't add up to anything. It doesn't go anywhere. There's no story. Just a jumble of incidents. Take tonight. We got on this bus in Pandy. Now we're in Llunapir and at some point, unless we sink, which is quite likely by the look of it, we'll arrive in Triorki. There's a progression. A linear progression. But in my life, it feels like we've got as far as this. But the next moment, the bus will be back down on Pandy Square again. In fact, it was worse than that. It was as though he'd jump on a bus to Triorki, only to find he was halfway to Ponty on a train. 
but he sensed that Petra was about to ask him what it was that his mam put in those Marmite sandwiches he lived on that made him think in such weird ways. The bus had stopped at Partridge Square, opposite the hospital entrance. A boarding passenger came and sat right opposite Jack. The newcomer was no Rhiannon, a solitary pensioner. A faded scarf knotted under her chin, returning home from visiting hour, or off to bingo. Why had she chosen that seat? Plenty of others were free. Perhaps she needed company. Whatever, her presence put a stop to the conversation. Jack was frustrated, but relieved too. What was it he'd been trying to say about his story? Unbidden, a new song began playing on the jukebox of his mind. A melody that old woman would know, Tipperary, but with words that had been sung on this road right here, on the only protest march he'd ever been on for all his radical pretensions. It was impressive enough, mind, thousands demonstrating against the closure of the Rhonda's only casualty unit here at Clunapia, and the centralising of emergency services miles away at East Glamorgan Hospital beyond Pontypridd. They paraded down to Pandy Square and on to a public meeting in Judges Hall. Nurses and miners carrying banners, doctors and housewives, schoolchildren like himself. It was two years ago, the first time he'd set eyes on Catherine. He knew nothing about her then, didn't know that she was another of the bad girls of the B form. He was just struck by her presence. She seemed older than her years, much older than him. She was there, he learned later, because her mother had died waiting for an ambulance. With other teenagers, they'd linked arms and joined in with the chanting and singing. It's a long way to East Glamorgan, it's a long way to go. It's a long way to East Glamorgan and the roads are awful slow. Goodbye, Llunapia. Farewell, Partridge Square. It's a long, long way to East Glamorgan. You're dead, for you're there. It must have been hard for Catherine to sing those words, but at the time, it was the cleverness of the parody that struck Jack. He wondered who'd thought it up, and how all those marchers had got to learn it. It was a glorious cause, and a total failure. All that was left at Llwynapia now were the bookends of life, the geriatric wing, and the maternity unit where Jack himself had been born 17 years ago. They put your plaque on the wall one day, his auntie was always telling him. A plaque, not my plaque. But he'd given up correcting her. Great Welsh anti-novel by me, John Geraint, is published by Cambria Books, C-A-M-B-R-I-A. It's available from cambriabooks.co.uk and of course from all good bookshops. And you can listen to me reading another exclusive extract next time in John on the Ronda. <laughs>